Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. Welcome to the show. Good to have you. Good to be here. And I'm excited that you're here and uh, excited to share this guest, this episode, this story, this journey with you. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're, you're driving into work. Maybe you're driving home from work. Maybe you're just trying to figure out, how do I find and do work that I love? Listen, this is why we do this show, is for you to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be motivated, and to do more than just have those, you know, those adorable little fuzzy feelings, those little goosebumps. It's like, oh, that's a nice story. That's adorable for them. No, no, no. Forget them. We're, we're telling these stories of them so that they can resonate and click with you. And and today's story is a good one. We're talking with uh, AJ Jacobs, who is a uh, an author, a writer, and this guy is throwing the world's biggest and maybe first family reunion. Like, think about it for a second. Like, if you really trace all the way back, in some way, we're all in some way or another connected to each other and related, which is both interesting and fascinating and disturbing all at the same time. So we're going to talk about AJ and his story and what he's been up to. Also, we're going to talk through a couple of uh, experiments that he's run. He's kind of been known for running different crazy type of experiments. He once lived for a full year trying to take all the the fitness and health advice that exists in the world and trying to do it all for a year. And he wrote about it, which is super interesting. He also spent a little over a year reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica, A to Z. He read it all, and we talk about a little bit of what he learned. He also wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically, where he went through the Bible, and he went through not just the Bible, but a lot of different religions, and he tried to live for one full year doing literally every single thing that the Bible teaches. So it was really, really fascinating and interesting conversation as he's lived life trying to do some of these experiments and then just writing about them and sharing his story and his journey with other people. So really good stuff. Also make sure that you stick around for the bonus material. You can hear more about what AJ and I talk about as it relates to YOLO, You Only Live Once, and why he doesn't believe in that. We also talk about some advice for folks considering a career change. So if you are in that spot, make sure you stick around. AJ gives some really, really good advice that I think you're not going to want to miss. So you can download that again at grantbolden.com slash podcast or go directly to grantbolden.com slash AJ Jacobs. So let's get right into this episode. Let's get into this interview. Here's my chit chat with author, writer, all around interesting dude, AJ Jacobs. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by AJ Jacobs, who is a uh, author, writer, all-around good dude, and he's bringing the world together in a way that uh, is, is obvious when you think about it. We'll get into that story and journey in a bit as well today. So, AJ, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'm familiar with you as an author. I've, I've read some of your books, but how would you describe yourself as an author, a writer? What, what do you call yourself? Yeah, all of the above. I, a lot of people call it uh, experiential journalism or immersion writing or method writing. So that's sort of what I do. I take a big topic and I dive in and I live it and experiment with it and change my lifestyle and then write about what I learned. All right. And so name drop, what are some books that you have written that maybe we might be familiar with? Well, I wrote one called The Year of Living Biblically, where I followed every rule of the Bible for a year, like hundreds of them. Not, you know, just the Ten Commandments, certainly, love your neighbor. 
but also all the other hundreds of ones like don't shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow, and I looked like, you know, I looked like a maniac. I looked at ZZ Top. I heard all the time, uh, so you can imagine. But uh, that was one. Another one I did was called Drop Dead Healthy, where I tried out every piece of medical advice for a couple of years uh, to see what worked, and I changed my diet and exercise and stress level and sleep and sex life posture how i went to the bathroom changed that (laughs) (laughs) didn't even know that was a thing (laughs) there is a healthier way to go to the bathroom i won't get into it unless you want but i am happy to that may be something we save for the uh, the bonus round and we we (laughs) we just tease right there great idea but so much of what you've done is just living as an experiment and kind of uh you know experiential journalism or or writing or, or being an author the experiment stuff is this something that you've always kind of been intrigued by and fascinated by I have. I I love it. And I love adventure and I love curiosity. I'm not an outdoorsy guy. So I'm not going to be climbing K2 anytime soon. So my adventures more take these form of these social adventures or lifestyle adventures. So I've loved it. And I am, I've done it for years now. And I just am delighted I'm able to keep doing it. And I think I'm to get on my pedestal for a second, I, I think everyone can incorporate these little experiments into your life. You don't have to grow a huge beard and live by the Bible, but even something like you know trying a, a different toothpaste every month for a year or changing the way you get to work. Just anything to shake it up keeps the neurons firing. And they talk about ruts in the brain, neural ruts, and this is the best way to avoid that. Why is it then that, like breaking that up, just something little like going a different way to work or changing your toothpaste, why is it some of those little things that they do kind of break the monotony or the rut of life? It's basically, I think, keeping the key, I think, to to youthful thinking is flexibility in your problem solving, flexibility in, in your thinking. So any way that you can shake up your brain, I think, is a good thing. We can go with that for now. So have you always been intrigued by just experiments and trying new things and kind of living this almost unconventional lifestyle? I have. I've loved it since I was a kid. And I've uh, one of the first projects I did was where I, I love to read and I love to learn. So the first big book I wrote that was sort of an experiment was I thought, how much information can I shove into my brain? Like, what is the definition of too much information? And that's when I decided to read the Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z. This was when the encyclopedia still existed. It was, it was, I, a, it was a thing at one point. Yeah, exactly. So I read, it was 33,000 pages, 44 million words, and I just devoured it. And uh, it was a fascinating experiment. It was not always pleasant. It was sometimes painful, especially for those around me, because I would sort of insert insert facts into conversations wherever I could. And and my wife actually started to fine me $1 for every irrelevant fact. So uh, (laughs) it cost me some money. But overall, it was actually a very life-affirming and inspiring experience. So tying that back into the the journalistic piece or the the writing piece, did you always want to be a writer of some form? And it was just a matter of trying to figure out what the best way was to express that? Or or where did the writing piece kind of come in? I do like writing. I will not say I love it. 
I actually prefer researching and I prefer talking about it. Actually sitting down at a keyboard can be quite painful. And it's also lonely, you know, you're sitting in a room. I mean, look at all of the authors who have committed suicide over the years. <laughs> it's kind of depressing. It's a depressing life. So I prefer the research, but to do the research, you have to write the book. And I do like sharing the knowledge of what I learned with people. So that drives me. So you've got this curiosity, this fascination with just uncovering the world and how things operate and how things work. And there's a lot of people that may have that curiosity, but there's a lot of ways you could go about making a living from that. So why books and why writing and why going down that particular path? Well, partly it's just luck. I mean, I think 90% of our lives are luck and we have a delusion that, that we have more control than we do. We can try to take as much control as we can, and that's what I try to do. But So I would say a lot of it, I just got lucky. And part of it is I loved college, and this is like going to college, but writing fun term papers instead of you know painful term papers. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel incredibly lucky that I can still do this for a living. And writing is changing so fast, so who knows what the business model will be in 10 years. But for now, I'm able to do this full time. Ride the wave as, as long as possible. Exactly. So what was your first kind of, like when you went to college, was the plan just to, I'm just going to get a writing gig and I'm going to do these kind of year-long stunts and try to write about them? Or like, what was the plan at that point? Well, I went to college and I majored in philosophy and that was not all that helpful when you got out <laughs> into the world job-wise. So there were no Fortune 500 firms hiring in-house philosophers. So all that I could do was sort of put a sentence together. So I was, I got a job as a freelance writer and I would write about anything at that point. I was young and I was 21, 22. I, I wrote for Dental Economics Magazine. Like, <laughs> so I wrote about... Which many of the readers are probably listening to. They enjoy. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's still around. I highly recommend you subscribe. It's not just about dentistry. It's about the business of dentistry. So it is uh, <laughs> it's quite specialized. <laughs> so that was one of my jobs. And then I just kept going until I got to bigger and bigger magazines. I went to Entertainment Weekly and then Esquire. And then I started writing books. And that's what I spend most of my time doing. And, and also lecturing a lot of writers nowadays. They make a lot of their money uh, giving talks, which I love. I actually, as I say, I prefer that to writing. But uh, you got to write the books so that you have something to say. How do you go from a dental business magazine to something like a <laughs> like an Entertainment Weekly or a an Esquire magazine, which are, are major major magazines? So that's a major leap there. So for someone that may be a writer who's going, I'm trying to get my work in, in front of the right people in order to make the right connections and to get some of the bigger writing jobs, the more prestigious ones. How do you right. go from the dental magazine to you know to some some more notable opportunities? Well, part of my secret was just relentlessly pitching ideas, just becoming an idea machine, even spending 15 minutes a day doing nothing but generating ideas, turning off your cell phone and turning you know, everything computer down, just writing by longhand ideas after ideas, and then emailing editors these ideas. And the rejection rate is going to be 99% at the beginning or higher. And that's what I contended with. And the rejection rate is still incredibly high, even though I've been doing this a while and I've somewhat established and had some bestsellers, you still get rejected. But uh, you got to be okay with that. 
and realize that that is that's just part of the game. And I was gonna say, how do you become okay though with like if ninety nine percent of the time you're getting rejected, <laughs> and you you know you got to go through ninety nine to get to the one, and even after you get the one, it's like all right to get to the second one, I got to go through another ninety nine. Like, how do you keep from just like, all right, screw this. This just isn't worth it. Like, I like this, but I don't like it enough to trudge through <laughs> all of this, all this no. Like, how do you keep cranking out ideas knowing that, all right, most of these aren't good and they're going to get shot down? Well, one thing nowadays is much better because back then, if I had an idea rejected, that was it. It's dead. But now you can put it on Twitter. You can put it on Facebook. You can share it. So it is going to get out there. Everyone's a publisher. It's just how big an audience are you going to get? So that's one thing. The other thing is I often think about a movie producer whose book I read, and she said the chances of a movie actually being made are so incredibly slim that when you're working on it, you cannot think of that as your only goal, that it's going to make it to the theaters. You've got to enjoy the process or else you're just going to go insane because 95% of the time, the movie never gets made. So enjoy the process, enjoy the research and realize if it gets out there, great. That's a lovely bonus. And it still requires just the work and just the non-glamorous, non-sexy part of just like, I just have to, like you said, sit in front of the screen and just do the work. And that's, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of people just aren't willing to put in, aren't willing to do. Yeah, I'm afraid you do have to do the work. I mean, I work all the time and this new project is literally a 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. job. So I am... uh, I don't like that much work. I prefer a couple hours off, but if you, uh, I do think that most of the time you do have to work, despite those those life hackers who say there are a lot of shortcuts. I think you got to put in the work. Still requires some work you got to do. Now looking here, it looks like uh, so was your first book the Know It All? Yes, yes, it was. And that was the one about reading the encyclopedia. So when you first pitched that to a publisher, to an agent, uh, is everybody just thinking like, you're adorable, but you're crazy. Like, there's no way you're going <laughs> to you're gonna pull this off. This is a ridiculous idea. What kind of feedback are you getting? Well, yeah, I think I got a lot of rejections for that one. Then I, I got one. All you need is one. All you need is one publisher. Right. Right. And actually, reading the encyclopedia was interesting because you got to see the, the whole history of rejection and all of the... <sighs> Famous, like the Chester Carlson, the guy who invented the Xerox machine, rejected by 60, 70 companies before Xerox bought it. So it's a, you know, it's a pattern. And also, it was interesting to read about the sort of the history of, of chutzpah, as I call it, a sort of strategic chutzpah, really just putting yourself out there. The poet Langston Hughes, I remember, he was a waiter, a busboy at a hotel in Washington, D.C., and a famous poet came in, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I might get fired, but I'm going to... He slipped... Langston Hughes slipped the guy his poems with his bowl of soup, and that's how he got discovered. So sometimes you really do have to... You have to take a risk, again, of rejection, just putting yourself out there, because you've got no one is discovered. You have to make yourself get discovered. So that full year, uh, is it just basically starting on January 1st and, and reading A to Z and just see how long it takes you? Or what was kind of the, the plan? It, it took longer than a year. It took about 16 months. And I did, re- weirdly, I had a full-time job. And I don't know how, I didn't have kids. Now I have kids. But then I didn't have kids. So I would get home from work and read for six hours a day and then be taking notes on the weirdest, craziest facts that I found. 
And also going out on adventures. I wanted to see what does intelligence mean? Where does it get us? I went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I went to a Mensa convention. So all these adventures in addition to the reading. Was there any like one prominent theme that stuck out to you from reading the encyclopedia A to Z? Oh, several, but I'll give you one that really stuck out, which was the good old days were not good. They were old and they were days, but they were <laughs> horrible. It was just a horror of the past. Nostalgia is so crazy because the past was, it was disease ridden. The lifespan was, was nothing. It was smelly, you know, horse dung everywhere. Superstition abounded. It's painful surgery without anesthesia. It was horrible. So anytime people say, "Oh, I wish," you know, "Oh, complain about people look at their iPhones too much," I'll say, "All right, go back to 1830 and enjoy yourself," because it was a horrible time. I've known it. It was racist, homophobic, sexist. It was just so it was life affirming because it really stressed how grateful we should be that we live in the time and. And many of us in the place that life still is terrible in many, many ways, but it is a lot better if you look at the vast sweep of history. Good point. So you do that, you launch the book, book does fine. And then are you thinking, well, that was fun. Let's just do that model again of let's just let's do another year of experimenting and then write about it. Or what are you kind of thinking the next iteration of the of the career would be? Right. I loved that experiment. And I was looking what I'd like to do is take these huge topics and then tackle them. So I thought, how can I tackle? I was really interested in religion because I grew up with no religion at all. I say in my book, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. <laughs> so no offense, the Olive Garden, which I read is doing very well now. Yeah, I wanted to, I was like, how can I tackle this? How can I write about this in an interesting and funny way and, and learn about it and take it seriously at the same time? Why not try to live like biblical times, live in the foot, walk in the footsteps of our forefathers. Where, like, where did that idea first come to you? Well, it, it's a little bit of a weird story, <laughs> but I have an uncle who is, I think, he's crazy. Uh, and I think <laughs> we'll that's, preface it with that. <laughs> that's fair enough to say, but he has been sort of a religious extremist in parts of his life. And in one part of his life, he decided to take the Bible completely, literally. And at one point, the Bible says in some uh, some part that you should keep your money close at hand. So he took that literally, he took all of his money out of the bank, like $10,000, and he had it strapped to his hand with a rubber band and walked around. So I was like, that is crazy, but it's also interesting. And that was one of the sparks. It's crazy enough that it just might work. Yeah, exactly. So what's the process for that of of a year of living biblically? I assume you, you've got to take a while just to read cover to cover and going from Genesis to the maps and figuring out like what is all the, the rules and regulations and then another year actually living it out. Is that kind of how it played out? It did take a few months for me to prepare. And I read a bunch of versions of the Bible. I wrote down all of the pieces of advice I could find. And, and I also assembled a board of spiritual advisors. So I had rabbis and ministers and, and uh, priests and all sorts of scholars. And then I just spent the year trying to follow them. And I was following them all at the same time, but I was sort of specialized in one. I'd say, let's go this week. Let's really try not to covet. Let's, let's take a deep dive. What does coveting mean? What's life like if you don't covet? 
so and it was fascinating i mean it was there was a lot of crazy stuff there was the beard and the stoning adulterers actually i don't recommend but <laughs> i used pebbles just so you know i didn't hurt anyone too badly but had to just I, be chucking rocks at people all the time in new york Exactly. Well, the problem is they don't announce themselves as adulterers, so it's it's hard. This one guy did tell me he was an adulterer, so that's how I was able to check it off. But but yeah, so there's that. But then there's also the sort of the the moral makeover, the moral journey where you're trying to actually become a little bit of a better person and and not lie as much or gossip or or covet. And that was really interesting, and that has stayed with me. I mean, I'm still. I lie and gossip like anyone else quite a bit, but I do think I've I've cut it down from what I used to be, maybe 30 or 40%. So I consider that a success. That is a success for indeed. So how do you were there any other like big themes that came out of that for just like okay, not only did it help me to become a better person, but you know, here's something else I learned. I would say another Two come to mind. One is the idea of gratitude, which I mentioned with the encyclopedia, just being grateful for the hundreds of things that go right every day instead of the three or four that go wrong. And the second is is how I accomplished becoming a little bit of a better person, which was the whole idea of the outer affects the inner, how much your behavior affects your thoughts. So I pretended to be a better person, and I eventually became a little bit of a better person. So I would force myself to do something like I had a friend in the hospital I hate hospitals did not want to visit him but I would force myself to go and and then I would trick my mind I'd say oh I'm in the hospital I, I I'm not that bad I must be very compassionate and then you become more compassionate there's a saying by the founder of Habitat for Humanity which is it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So that was a big lesson. The whole fake it till you make it, fake it till you become it idea. So fake it till you make it is, is very much a real thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the basis of cognitive behavioral psychology, which I think is a very powerful and scientifically well-proven area. So you go from uh, a year of living biblically to uh, drop dead healthy, where you're trying to just have bodily perfection to to apply every type of, of diet and exercise principle that exists. Uh, so that's your next stunt. So is that another year quest? That one, I was originally going to do it for a year, but my body was such a fixer-upper, it took me about two years. <laughs> what did it uh, look like on day one to the end of what kind of transformation was made and what, what kind of hoops oh. did you have to jump through? Well, yeah, I, I certainly did get in better shape. I mean, when I started, I wasn't traditionally fat. I was more uh, skinny fat, so I looked like a snake that had swallowed a goat. Yep. And then by the end, I, I was in good shape. I just lost pounds, my cholesterol way down, and I, I was exercising and running. I did not have a six-pack, which is okay, because I, I read a Harvard Journal study that said, actually, six-pack abs are not good for you. And it was in the Harvard Journal, so I latched onto that, um, and I said, you know what? It's Harvard says no six-packs. I am not going to go stress out about not having six-packs. <laughs> and men everywhere rejoiced. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, and the, I just changed. You know, I tried every diet. I tried the vegetarian, the vegan, the raw food, the, the paleo. I tried every exercise routine. I tried the CrossFit and uh, 
the caveman workout where you go to Central Park and you throw boulders and carry logs. And I tried all sorts of gadgets. I did the whole wearable stuff when it was just beginning. And I wrote the book on a treadmill desk, which I still use. I'm a big fan of the treadmill desk. It was fascinating. And I didn't keep everything. In fact, I didn't keep very much at all. I kept maybe 10% of in my life. But I think that's enough to uh, that it's made my life better. What 10% did you keep? Well, I still do write on the treadmill desk. I still do eat whole. I try to eat. Uh, one easy heuristic is eat out of the refrigerator, not out of the cabinet, because the refrigerator has a lot of food that spoils, and that's the real food. Yeah. So I, I really try to stay away from the cabinet. I try to treat myself like a lab rat and use all these uh, nudges, as they call them, these behavioral economics nudges. So putting the bad food out of sight and using small plates. And then the other thing is it's not just about exercise and diet. It's equally stress is equally as important. Sleep. I hate sleeping, but I just have come to acknowledge that it's so crucial to your health. And friends. Uh, that is one of the biggest, uh, most overlooked aspects of health is having this very wide net of social acquaintances. Not necessarily wide, but a very strong social network that you can talk to people that will support you when you're down. And that's why people who go to church generally live longer. It's not necessarily that God likes them better. <laughs> it's that they have this strong social network in the church. And so it sounds like the you had almost some of the same positive consequences of from the year of living biblically as you did with, with Drop Dead Healthy of just like, I'm just more aware of my surroundings. I'm aware of, of what I put into my body, of how I spend my time, of how I spend my energy, of the people I surround myself with. And so it sounds like some of it's just a general awareness of, of life and, and what you're doing on a daily basis. That's a good point. I, I definitely agree. That is one of the keys is just being totally aware and being aware of, I'm a huge fan of metacognition, you know, thinking about what are you thinking. So I try to stop every few minutes and say, is this a good use of my brain? Uh, should I be obsessing about the fact that I could have brought the domain name drugstore.com for 20 bucks in <laughs> 1989? No, that's not a good use of my brain. Let's think about something else. Let's think about something creative. Let's try to solve a problem about my kids. So I am a big fan of metacognition and almost being a babysitter to your brain. So you've gone through all of these different types of massive experiments. And do you call them stunts at all? Or are they just experiments? I'm fine with calling whatever you want to call all them. Right. I don't think stunts should have a... I mean, listen, like I consider... You know, the Sistine Chapel was kind of a stunt. He's going to paint on the ceiling. That is, like, pretty weird. Right. Not that I, my books are the Sistine Chapel, but I'm saying <laughs> stunts, I think we should we should rebrand, not necessarily think of them as bad. So it leads us all the way up to today for this new adventure that you're you're embarking on, this, uh, this event. So give us a snapshot of what you're working on next. This is... My the biggest project I've ever done, actually, and I'm excited, super excited about it. I am helping to build a family tree that connects the entire world, and I'm one of I'm thousands of people working on this project. And as part of it, I am very soon, June 6, 2015, holding the global family reunion, which will be a reunion for the entire human race, and it'll it'll be this huge festival. 
headquartered in New York, but also simultaneously around the world. And it'll just be, it'll be almost like Burning Man, but for families, <laughs> and, or Comic-Con with cousins. And everyone is invited, and there's going to be over 50 speakers, including Henry Louis Gates and David Blaine and Morgan Spurlock. And then there's music we've, and activities and potato sack races. And we've got Sister Sledge coming to sing We Are Family. So that's <laughs> live. And we're going to break records and we're going to learn all aspects of the family from these fascinating speakers and have things to do for the kids. And when you go there, the idea is we will figure out or try to figure out how you're connected to this big family because this global family tree right now is at 240 million people all on the same tree. It's just mind-boggling. I'm on this tree. Barack Obama's on it. You could be on it. If you send me your information, we can figure out how you're related to me and Barack and Kevin Bacon and everyone else. So it's more than just kind of this clever name of Global Family Reunion. But I mean, this is an actual, like, you boil it down, and yeah, we are all connected in one way or another if you go far enough down the tree. That's right. The idea is now for the first time ever, because of these revolutions in the industry, DNA testing, and also just these online trees, you can figure out how any two people on Earth are related. And they're not always close. It's not always by blood. Like Barack Obama, for instance, is my fifth great aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. So <laughs> I invited him to Thanksgiving. He didn't, you know, respond. But but the truth is, it's like Kevin Bacon, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. But everyone is Kevin Bacon, and I love that you can actually connect to people, and it changes the way you think about the world. It makes you, at least me, it makes me a little kinder, a little more aware that. We do share 99.9% .9 of our DNA. We're not just the same species. We're the same family. And so that's been mind-blowing for me, and I'm spreading the word. And it's really it's lovely to see because it has gained a terrific amount of momentum, not because of me, I don't think, just because of this idea that we can, for the first time ever, show this simple idea. We are a family. And so for someone that's not living in New York, where the event will actually be held, because this is an actual physical live event, right? Yes, there will be thousands of people at the event in New York. But there are also over 30 satellite parties where all over the world, if you go to globalfamilyreunion.com, they'll have a list of the satellite parties. And you can go and, and we'll live stream all of the entertainment and speeches to those. And you can also watch the live stream at home. So it's a, a global family reunion. And most of the, the satellite parties are free of charge. The one in New York is about $30. I can actually give you a code, Grant, uh, and for your listeners to get a, a discount. But any money we make uh, goes to Alzheimer's. So I wanted to give it to a good cause. Awesome, man. Well, what is that code? We'll be sure and include that in the, uh, the show notes link. How about we do Grant? As, so you go to globalfamilyreunion.com and then press buy tickets and Eventbrite and you put in Grant, G-R-A-N-T. Perfect. Name. 
That's awesome, man. We'll definitely be sure and include that in the uh, in the links below. Awesome stuff, man. Well, AJ, really, really appreciate you sharing your, your story, your journey with us, helping to organize the Global Family Reunion. Again, we will be linking up to that at uh, globalfamilyreunion.com. Make sure we send uh, people that direction so that they can be a part of that, whether they are in the New York area or online or wherever people may be listening around the world to this. So for people that want to find out more beyond just the Global Family Reunion, but just your work in general, where can we send them? AJJacobs.com and I'm on Twitter at AJJacobs and uh, yes, I would love, everyone's my cousin so please feel free to email and you know, I, I don't have a huge apartment, so you can't stay over, but but I like to be in contact with the readers. Nice, for sure, man. We've got a couple other questions for you. Of course. Um, that we'll be uh, saving those for the bonus round, so I'd encourage everyone to uh, to download that. You can go to grantbolden.com slash AJ Jacobs to get that of this bonus material, which we'll be, uh, we'll be putting together right now. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, man. We'll see you over there. Excellent. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat with AJ Jacobs. Really good stuff there. Make sure you stop by, check out globalfamilyreunion.com and check out what they're up to there. Crazy, crazy thing that they've got happening, but uh, kind of a cool cool concept, cool event when you kind of stop and think about it and check out the site. And uh, it's going to be on June 6th of this year, 2015. So again, uh, stop by, check that out. If you're in the New York area, you want to join and participate, be sure to go uh, join. Be a part of the family reunion. Go say hi to all your cousins. You should ask them for birthday money and back pay on Christmas. Christmas presents and all that stuff. So definitely uh, definitely do that. That would make a good story for sure. Also, be sure to download the bonus material. You can do that at grantbaldon.com slash podcast. Again, grantbaldon.com slash podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. Make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love for you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you may be listening to your show. We really appreciate it. It really does mean a lot. It helps other people to uh, find the show and uh, lets them know, hey, you should listen to this. This is a cool show. This is a good show. We've got good guests, good interviews. Grant, he's a good guy, I think, as far as I know. Last time I checked, he seems to be a good dude. So uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, as always, feel free to email me, grantograndbolden.com. Let me know what you're chewing on or wrestling with, anything I can do to help you, support you on your own journey to find and do work you love. That's it, my friends. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.